All right, so if you have your Bible open to Ephesians 6, I, uh, I uh, applaud you for your initiative, but I'm going to ask you to take a moment and do what I never tell you to do, and that is actually close your Bible for a moment. Weird, pastor telling you to close your Bible. But I want you to close your Bible for a moment, and I want you to instead take out maybe a piece of paper, if you have the message memo, turn it over to the blank side, get a piece of uh, pencil or pen, and here's what I want you to, to think about writing. All right, you ready? All right, now look up here for a moment. Imagine you're either the father or the mother, of a large family, all right? But you're separated from them. And you have been for now a number of years. And you know you're not going to see them again. But you want them to remember some really important things. So you have written them a letter. But now... You kind of said everything you want to say, but it's that hardest, how do I close it? What's the last thing I want to say to the people I love, my family, I'm never going to see them again. What do you say in the last two sentences that really matters? You feel that? All right. I, I want you to feel that because we do weird things with letters in the New Testament. We get to the final two sentences and we act like they don't matter. But if we understood really what was happening here, we would go, actually, these probably matter most. Because when you get to the end of something that you've poured your heart out to, and you don't just go, okay, and have a great day. It's like, how do I close this in a matter of... Summary, but significance that gets at the core, at the core of really what I want them to know. And I simply say that because after 54 weeks in the letter of Paul to the church there in Ephesus, we're going to look at how he closes it. And we're not going to skip it. Because it doesn't matter, we're going to look at it because I think it matters most of what was really on his heart. So with that in mind, now open and maybe read these two last sentences, verses 23 and 24 of Ephesians 6, with a new heart, a new mind to go, when he's closing his letter, what is really on his heart? And here's what he says. Final two sentences. To his family. And you know why I call him his family. Because uh, God had chosen to use him uh, to be the instrument through which they, as we just sang, went from death to life. So there's family. What, what's he say to him as he closes? He says, peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, last thing, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. It is simply, I think if we capture it correctly, it's the heart of the Father for the family in his closing words. And he wants, from the depths of heart, for that body. And what I would hope 
would be true of this body. Three very simple, not complicated, three very simple but profound realities. First, that they would and we would be at peace with one another. Peace be to the brethren. He's not talking about an internal peace. He's not saying, hey, if you're stressed out, be at peace. He's talking about a relational peace. There's nothing that breaks the heart of a father more than a family he loves who fights and can't get along. So you can't enjoy Christmas. You can't enjoy Thanksgiving. You can't enjoy Easter because you know when people get, when the family gets in the room, they just can't get along. That breaks the heart of a dad or a mom. So what's he want for his family? What do we desire for this family? Very simple. Be at peace with one another. Here's why. Because we're one. That's the core reality of a family is we are one. God has sovereignly chose to make us one. What he had said earlier in his letter to them is this, that in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into what? One. He's made us one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. There is one body, he says in chapter 4, one spirit, just as also we were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We are one. So, family, let's act like it. Let's not fight as if The wall of hostility has not been broken down. If you're a family, a a physical family here, I'm going to plead with you. Remember, God sovereignly made you one. Be at peace. To this family, the spiritual family, the family called Christian Family Chapel, be at peace. Remember, We function together as we are one. And we are different. But our differences, he has said in this letter to us, our differences make us better. (laughs) Which is supernatural because usually our differences drive us crazy. (laughs) We have this, this crazy mindset, and I say crazy because I've had it, and it's this arrogant mindset that if you were more like me, we'd be better. And you think, yeah, well, if we were more like me, you'd be better. And we miss that the beauty of what God has done in the body, in your family physically, and in this family spiritually, what God has done is he has made us better by actually making us different. Uh, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. The apostles are like, we need more apostles. No, we need more prophets. What do you mean people are going to hell? We need more evangelists. Everybody should be evangelists. You know how this works. What you love is most important, right? What you think is most important, everybody should think is most important. What you're passionate about, you know, everybody should be most passionate about. Then we'd be better. No, then we'd be boring and we'd be limited, right? And shallow. We're one, but we're different, which makes us better. 
The Lord has blessed us by making us better. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. You see, the beauty, the beauty of this spiritual family is when you are different, made by God, gifted by God, skilled by God, when you are different according to the difference that God has made you and you function in that, you don't blow it off because you're not like what you wish you were. When you don't blow it off, but you function according to the way God has made you, this body is better. You know, we're not worse because we're different. We're worse when we're different and we are disconnected. God has made us different in our oneness, unique in our oneness to make us better for the building up of the body. Really, I want to encourage you to ask yourself, is this body better because God has made you unique and you are participating in it? That is the heart of the Father for this family, that we would recognize we're one, we're different, but we do have a common purpose. There's a common purpose that God has for each one of us and that we would be growing in together. And it's, it's simply this, he tells us. In his letter, he said, until we all, all right, who's he speaking to? The church. So listen, if you are in Christ, here's the purpose for which we are striving for until we all attain to the unity of the faith. We're all one in faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You see, what God wants to do in my life and what God wants to do in your life is actually the same thing. What is it? Make us more like Jesus. And nothing makes us more like Jesus than when we are different but learn to work in humility and grace to one another together. See, uh, if I only surround myself with people like me who love what I love and want to do what I want to do, you know what, then I don't have to grow. And people different than me make me grow. Just think about how you have grown in Christ-likeness most in your life. And it's probably almost always out of the context of something that was hard. So, some sandpaper. We don't grow when we are on easy street. Because who needs to? <laughs> but we grow when we find ourselves saying, Lord... We're different, but we made us one, and we are learning to work together. I want to encourage you uh, again. If God has seen fit so at this point in your life that you are married, your spouse is probably different than you, and it's driving you crazy at times. Here's what I want you to do. I gave you this card months ago, and I don't think hardly any of you did it. A card that simply said, better together. And you write down what, what it is that your spouse is different than you that would normally drive you crazy. And you let them know, you're different than me and I'm glad. 
Not because it's easy, because it's better. See, there's a humility in recognizing that God is growing us into the likeness of his son through our differences. What's he want? What's the heart of the father? To be at peace with one another. So let me just, we've looked at only what he had already said earlier in Ephesians. Let me jump out of Ephesians and remind you this from Romans. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. And I give it that because he acknowledges sometimes, no matter what you do, you can't be at peace. But have you done all that you can? So I taught Thursday night this, and right after the service, somebody just sliced me hard with the sword of word. And I was like in the back here bleeding. And I wanted so badly to fight and defend myself. And all I could hear was, be at peace. Be it as much as possible. Be at peace. It's easy to pick up the sword, right? It's easy to slice those who slice you. It's easy to jab and return jab with jab. But at the end of the day, here's was the final piece for me this morning. Because I kind of wrestled all weekend. Should have I picked up the sword, you know, and defended righteousness? Because I am righteous, you know. Always right. Wrong. See what I'm saying? Uh, so there was this, this reality, finally for me this morning, to go, right or wrong, doesn't matter. The issue is, how are you going to become more like Jesus through those words? It's a good word for me. So uh, I know that there will be fighting words coming your way, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your family group, whether it's within a friendship, and you're going to be tempted to pick up the sword and engage. And I'm simply saying, the scripture says, let's remember, before you swing, before you pick it up, we're one, and we're different, but that's better. And how is Jesus using this to grow you like him? Because that's what's happening. That's what he's up to. And you might find, hmm, it's good for me to humbly lay down my sword and learn to be like Jesus who entrusted himself to the Father when people said some things that were really, really painful to him and did some things that were really, really painful for him. All right, so what's the heart of the Father for the family? Be at peace. I think the Lord has a word for many of you on that regard. Make sure you do what the Lord is prompting you. Back to the text. Be, peace be to the brother and end second now, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I told you this wasn't going to be complicated. The Father wants for his family peace, and he wants Love. Be loving to one another. Feel really warm feelings towards one another. No, that's not what it's taught. <laughs> because sometimes you will, and there's other times you won't. 
So what's it mean for us to, as this family, love one another? The text has already told us. Therefore, laying aside falsehood. That's loving, to lay aside falsehood. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. See, we're an extension of who we are, so we tell the truth to one another. He had said in verse 28, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he'll have something to share with one who has need. That's practical. That's not a feeling. That's practical loving of one another. What a, what a phenomenal gift that a member of our body experienced this, this week. A, a deep need. A deep need for a real need within their family that was going to overwhelm them. $5,000 a month out of nowhere. And the Lord prompted somebody in this body, I don't know who they are, but praise the Lord for them. They said within 24 hours, we'll cover the $60,000 for the next 12 months. Wow. You may go, well, I don't have that sort of stuff laying around. Yeah, me neither. I understand. I get that. But you have the opportunity because of the way the Lord has given to you to be able to help. Maybe not to that extreme, but wow, what a gift of how we labor so that we have something to share with one who has need. How else do we love? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So how do we love very specifically? With truth. We are, we love one. This is not about a feeling. These are actions. Be truthful. Be kind. Which is much more than not being unkind. Being kind is a lot more than not being unkind. So tell the truth. Be kind. Be helpful. Few things demonstrate love as much as simply giving help to folks in time of need. Man, that is like fresh, cold water to thirsty people when you give help when they need. And forgive. Why? (laughs) Because we're not always truthful, kind, or helpful. Ultimately, it's will we forgive one another? This is heart, the father for the family. That that the father could hear of a family that speaks truth, that acts kindly. That's not nice. It's much more than nice. That helps and that forgives. But there's a step further here. Be loving in one another, it said, with what? With faith. Did you notice that? Uh, It said, peace be to the brother and and love with faith. Maybe that didn't catch your eye. I hope it does now. Wow. Love one another. Yeah, there's practical. But there's something very powerfully different between loving one another and loving one another with faith. 
faith. What's the difference? Let me capture it from Jesus's words. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. There's no faith in that. In other words, that's ordinary. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But now here, now here is not ordinary love. This is extraordinary love. This is love with faith. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting... Uh, seriously? Like nothing? I mean, I could deal with not equal. If I give you a gift, you don't need to give me a gift back. But how about a thank you note? Can I expect that? <laughs> Do good, lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind too. Yeah ungrateful and evil man. Do you hear what, you hear what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that, hey, there's love. There's love that tells the truth. There's love that's kind. There's love that helps. And there's even love that forgives. But you know what? Everybody does that for some people sometimes. That's not who we are. We're sons of the Most High. We are children of God who loves us when we don't deserve it, who forgives us when we don't deserve it, who helps us when we can't. I mean, does God need help? Oh man, maybe if I help a bunch of people, they'll help me. He doesn't need that. It's love with faith. It is love that is extraordinary, extraordinary. That's simply what Jesus is saying. In Luke 6, and what is Paul is asking for the church? It's what you would imagine the Father would want for this body. A love that does what we've already written down, but does it with faith, which very practically means, oh, he says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. It practically means this. In spite of the past, in other words, I'm going to be truthful, kind, forgiving, and helpful. In spite of the past, I'm not going to help. I helped them once, and they didn't, they never even said thank you. They didn't really appreciate it. And I want to help people who appreciate it. I've rationed that, I've rationalized that many a time. Forgive them. Mm, I'm not sure they've demonstrated enough sorrow yet. A little bit more sorrow, a little bit more pain, and then maybe I'll be prepared to forgive them. Because I don't want to forgive them too soon, because if I forgive them too soon, then they'll just wrong me again. I mean, you've never thought that, but I've heard people who think that. <laughs> oh, we've, we do what is loving by faith, meaning in spite of the past and with no future expectation. Whew. See, that is extraordinary. And that's the heart of the father for the family. 
a peace and a love that is extraordinary. And he, he demonstrates, he says, do it with faith from what? The Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he recognizes that if we are going to love with faith, it is only going to be by the power of God himself. And he has given us that power by pouring his spirit into our lives so that we might live spirit-empowered lives, that we might love in spirit-empowered ways. How's that work? Here's Paul's testimony. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live. But what is true? But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live how? By faith. In other words, I live by faith. I help by faith. I love by faith. What's that mean? I love by faith that they will give me a good return. No. I love by faith in the sense that as I have been loved with no expectation of return based on no past reason to love well. See, it is, I am living, loving, helping, forgiving, because it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You are children of the Most High. And so our love and our help and our kindness is not ordinary. It is called to be extraordinary. And you see this. Uh, Friends, within your marriage, within your family, at work, in this church, in the next week, you're going to have moments to take a step of kindness, of help, of love, of telling the truth. And you're going to go, oh, but. And there'll be reason why it might cost you, why it might not return to you. And you can either, in that moment, you'll either live an ordinary life or by faith, you'll live an extraordinary life in the power of the Spirit, trusting that the God who has loved you will give you all you need to love, to help, to serve, to forgive those who don't deserve it and may never give it back. That's extraordinary. And church, we're never going to be who God has called us to be, to shine like stars in a dark world until we learn to live by faith extraordinary lives. See, it's not like, y'all need to get more committed. No, you don't need to get more committed. (laughs) How about more dependent upon the power of the Spirit of God that lives in you, that you and I would live by faith. We'll have so many opportunities in the coming week alone to take steps of faith. And that's the heart of the Father for the family. Be at peace. Love with faith. Third, peace be to the brethren. Love with faith, and in case you missed it, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the third. 
Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Now remember, this is a dad who's not going to see the family again. His heart is for them. He has written six chapters. He's trying to figure out how to close it. And here is his closing sentence, his closing heart for us. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. God's grace. His closing line is God's grace to all who love Jesus. God's grace to us, to all who love Jesus. God's grace to you is you love him perfectly. <laughs> if that's true, if, if it's really saying to all who love Jesus perfectly, those are the ones who get grace, guess what? None of us get grace. God's grace to all you who love Jesus really all the time. Oh, This is, not, this is not Paul going, hey, in case you're abusing grace, here's my last sentence. I'm going to limit God's grace to only those who love him perfectly. What was the, the word? Love him with an incorruptible. You know what that means? It doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean without fail. It means with a love that cannot be taken by death. It's free from death. It's a love that, this is why for some of you, if you're using a new, new international version, it says to love him with an undying love. Which, which calls me to ask a really powerful question here. Does a believer in Jesus love God with an undying love? Does a believer love Jesus with an undying love? Not a perfect love, not a love without failure, but an undying love? Yes, because of God's grace. Don't miss that. Believers love God with an undying love, not because they were determined to. Believers love God with an undying love because of his grace. This is not a limitation of grace. This is a magnification of God's grace. And if there's one thing that dad wants the family to end with, it's that rest in God's grace. Work at peace. Love with faith. Rest in grace. Why? Because he's going to end where he started. He's going to simply say, because it was only by grace that you're even in Christ. It's only by grace that you even could love God. Can we go back to the beginning? Because he ends with what he begins, chapter 1, with a bless fest of God's grace, of Chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, informed, sealed heirs. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us. Those three words matter. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, which means way, 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 way before me and you. He chose us way before we were, that we would be holy and blameless before him. You capture that? You see, he's simply saying it's only by grace that we even love God to begin with. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. You see, you and I, who are in Christ, grace to us because our love did not start with us for God. Our love for God started with his love for us. The scripture says, you don't love God apart from the fact that he first loved you. And so, friends, believers love God, not with a perfect love, but an undying love, because that love started with God choosing us, not us choosing him. He chose us in love. He predestined us. And it's not only that it is by grace that we have become in Christ, it is only by grace that we will continue in Christ. We're totally dependent upon his grace to continue in him. Again, to the blessed fest, verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. The inheritance that we have received in Christ is the righteousness of Christ. That is no longer I who live, but as he said, Christ lives in me. That he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That our relationship with God only began by grace and it will only continue to be by grace. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. You see, the fact that my love for God will be an undying love will not be based on my determination, my devotion, my endurance, my perseverance. Because then it would be to the praise of my glory. I mean, God got me started, but I carried it. I got the ball across the line. That's absurd. And anytime I think that, I need to remember, it was grace that started this, and it's only grace that will continue this. Resting in God's grace 
the grace that grabbed me, the grace that holds me, and the grace that will never forsake me. See, <laughs> there's this, there's, and regrettably so, there's this thought among so many that God forsake, not forsaking you is dependent upon you not forsaking him. <laughs> and that's great motivation <laughs> by fear, except you're going to forsake him. You're going to fail, right? Yeah. You're not going to love perfectly. You're not going to help perfectly. You're not going to forgive perfectly. And so you're going to fail. And he's going, he is faithful even to the faithless. It is only by the grace of God that we watch. Only by the grace of God we started relationship with him that we were even able to love him. It's only by grace that we will continue with him. And it is only by God's grace that that will never, ever end. It will be an undying, incorruptible love because in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed where? In him... By the Holy Spirit, you were sealed in him, by him. In him, by him. And that will be with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory again. See, I hope, I mean, this was 15 months ago, so I get it. If you're like, mm, this sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> It was repeatedly to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory for one simple reason, because it's by grace. It's by grace that we begin. It's by grace that we continue. It's by grace that we get home. The grace of God that grabs you is the grace of God that will hold you. It's the grace of God that will never let you go. He will never let you go. See, I can play a little game with my grandson, Tate, and I can put some M&Ms in my hand, and I say, Tate, if you can open my hand, you can have the M&Ms. Can he open my hand? He's three, by the way. Can he open my hand? No, I don't work out, but he can open my hand. <laughs> Do I let him? Of course. Why? I don't want it melting in my hand. No. <laughs> Why? Because I put it in there to, to give to him because I wanted it for him. And God says, you're in my hand. And I could let it go if I wanted, but I won't because I've sealed you by the Holy Spirit in me. And no one can pry these fingers open. You are an M&M in the hand of God that cannot be removed. Some of you are peanut M&Ms in the hand of God. But we're better because of it. <laughs> All right. Here it is. After 54 weeks, here's what he hopes. Here's what I hope. 
work at peace. Work at it. I say work at it. I almost thought, should I say fight at peace? But that feels a little ironic. (laughs) Fight for peace. But I say work at it because the natural gravity of relationship is division and brokenness. The natural gravity in relationship in your family within the church will be toward brokenness because we are at core selfish people. So work at peace. Love with faith. Be extraordinary. And rest in grace. Not lazy, but resting in God's grace. Work at peace. Love with faith. Rest in grace. That's what dad wants for the family. So I want to give us an opportunity to just take a moment and let's quiet our hearts and respond to the Lord in each of those areas. Let me begin with the recognition that, that not everyone here is yet part of the family. It's possible that, that you have thought you've got to work your way into the family. You have to be good enough to be part of the family. But the scripture's been exceedingly clear. It's by grace that we're made part of the family And therefore, we don't work for it. We can only receive it by faith. So I want to invite any who have never trusted in the work of Jesus on the cross to pay the penalty for sin on your behalf. To trust in Jesus this morning to change your mind that it's about what you do and begin to believe today it's what's been done for me by grace. The quietness of this moment. Would you admit your sin? That you deserve the wrath of God. That you believe that Jesus sent by the grace of the Father came to take the penalty that you deserve to take the wrath that you deserve upon himself and give to you instead his righteousness. Would you receive that gift of grace in this moment? you have come this morning confident that you have been made part of the family by grace through faith or are you doing whatever you can to be at peace with one another maybe there's a sword you need to lay down a relationship You need to go and seek to reconcile. No guarantee it will be, but are you doing all you can 
within your marriage, within your family, and within this church, within this community, to be at peace. Maybe this is an important moment to consider how you love. Is it ordinary? You help those who help you. You're kind to people who are kind to you. You forgive people who have earned it. Is there a new step of faith that the Lord would be calling you to take now? To forgive by faith. To speak truth by faith. To finally come clean and tell the truth. Lord, it is my deep desire that increasingly you would be working in us and and through us that we who have died that Christ who now dwells in us would live and love people would experience you as we live by faith and Lord we want to close all of these weeks close this letter with a joyful reminder of your great grace in our lives. The grace that brought us into relationship with you, grabbed us, the grace that will keep hold of us, the grace that will get us home, never let us go. We want to lay down all that fear and anxiety that it's up to us and give our worship and our lives to you that they would be lived to the praise of your glory, the giver of grace, past, present, and future. Let's stand together and let's declare with great joy the grace of God given to us.
friends, we go in the grace of God and the strength of God as He's given us in that every moment every of our lives, even as we relate to each other and those that God puts in our path, that He'd get glory from it. So people would see Him in us. So I hope that you have a great day. If we can pray for you, please don't leave campus without praying with someone. We have men and women available between the auditoriums that are there to pray with you if you have a need. Uh, God bless, friends. See you next time.